Well, howdy, Huda Thunkers. This is the host of the Huda Thunkin' podcast, Zeb, as always. I'm uh, doing this episode 84 for you today, titled Cowboy Amongst Thieves. This week, I welcome you to join me as I explore the life and legend of Ralph Lamb, a true cowboy who lived amongst thieves. But before we get into that, let's do that recommendation segment. So, this week's recommendation segment actually ties directly into the main event. Not always the case. Sometimes I recommend random things. But this one is relevant. I recommend you watch the movie Casino. This 1995 mobster film is one of the coolest movies ever made, or the coolest mobster movie ever made. And here's what it's about. In the early 1970s, Las Vegas low-level mobster Sam Ace Rothstein, played by none other than Robert De Niro, gets tapped uh, by his bosses to head the Tangiers Casino. At first, he's a great success in the job. But over the years, problems with his loose cannon enforcer, Nicky Santoro, played by Joe Pesci, his ex-wife, Ginger, played by Sharon Stone, hubba hubba, her con artist artist ex-Lester, Diamond, James Woods, and a handful of corrupt politicians put Sam in ever-increasing danger. Martin Scorsese directs this adaptation of Nicholas Pileggi's book. Casino is the movie that you know, made me really understand the acting chops of Joe Pesci. Um, you know, you love to hate his character. It's a great movie, and it really shines a light on how Vegas became Vegas. So check it out. Directly ties into our main event today. Now, for that main event, Lamb was born in Alamo, Nevada in 1927. His name is Ralph Lamb, as a poor fourth-generation farmer. And he was one of 11 kids growing up. His father, William Granger Lamb, died in a rodeo accident when he tried to stop an uncontrollable horse from heading through the crowds on July 3rd of 1939 in Fallon, Nevada. When he died, William Lamb was 46 years old and his son Ralph uh, was only 12. Ralph's father was buried at Alamo Cemetery and Lamb and his siblings took odd jobs to help make ends meet during the Great Depression. Not easy, probably maybe the worst time to try to make ends meet during the Great Depression. Then, One day, Ralph enlisted in the Army and served in the Pacific Theater during World War II. He returned to Nevada and took a position as Clark County Deputy Sheriff. Lamb said he walked into the sheriff's office and was put to work that very afternoon. He was given no formal training and just sort of had to learn as he went. (laughs) He left in 1954 to start his own private detective agency. We'll talk about that in a bit. But he came back in 1958. He ran for election as sheriff of Clark County, and he lost to a tough old son of a bitch named Butch Leipold. And Leipold served until 61 when he resigned and was appointed to the Nevada Gaming Control Board. And wouldn't you know it, Lamb was named the successor to the Clark County Commission and served until 1979 as sheriff of Clark County. Lamb doled out his own brand of justice over the increasingly corrupted and crime-filled city of Las Vegas at the time. Lamb spearheaded the charge against the Mafia, moving into post-World War II Las Vegas. Coinciding with Lamb's initiation into the force was the mob's arrival in Las Vegas in 1945. The notorious Bugsy Siegel moved to Vegas to gain control of the Flamingo Hotel and Casino. Though his outrageous spending is believed to be the reason he never made it to the opening of his grand achievement, having been shot to death a few months earlier in 1947, the year Lamb signed on. So, Lamb once said in a television interview, People think the only time I was there was from 1960 to 80, but I'd been there a long time before that. I'd been working on these hoods, watching them and keeping... He meant neighborhoods, not... not, 
whatever else you could think. Watching them and keeping records on them. Then I got to Sheriff and I got my own crew there. And we continued right on doing what we've been doing before. So he had been in law enforcement since 1947. He was watching. He was waiting. He had his own detective agency. He even was a bounty hunter for a little bit. He knew the area well. So when he became sheriff, he knew exactly what to do. To put Lamb's time in law enforcement into perspective, let me throw a couple numbers at you here. In 1945, the year World War II ended, Clark County was home to just uh, 15,000 people. Today, Clark County is home to over 2.3 million residences. Clark County is where Las Vegas is. So think about that. 1945, just 15,000 people running amok.、Um, we'll get into the history of Vegas. But now, nowadays, 2.3 million residents. So quite the difference. And the time period in which that population saw the most growth was during Lamb's law enforcement career. Even without the influence of the mob, Lamb's job would, have still, would still have been a nightmare with all that explosive change brought on by that insane population. Even if it's not organized crime, you're still going to get a ton of crime with that amount of population boom, a ton of issues, maybe not even crime. It's still going to be difficult. This time period is what took Las Vegas from a humble watering hole to the mega resort and global destination spot that it is today. Here's some quick history of the city of Las Vegas, not too quick, because it interests me like mad. If you've ever been to Las Vegas, you know it's a big, bright, and shiny sin playground surrounded by nothing but dust. That's it. It's in the middle of nowhere. I have family out in Vegas, so I've been going there since I was just a little boy. Seriously, I've been to Vegas maybe a dozen times. For as long as I can remember, I've always wondered what is the story behind this bizarre place. When talking about history of any place in the Americas, I like to give as much info on the people who lived there before it,、um, before it was even called the Americas. So the Native Americans lived in Las Vegas Valley. Beginning over 10,000 years ago, archaeologists have discovered baskets, petroglyphs, pictographs, and other evidence in diverse locations, including Gypsum Cave and Tool Springs. The Peyotes, or Peyute, I don't know how to, it's P A I U T E S, Peyutes, the Peyutes,、um, I think it's Peyotes, whatever, moved into the area as early as AD 700, migrating between nearby mountains in the summer and spending,、uh, spending water or winter in the valley near Big Springs. So, you know, they had their little migration. Awesome people, and to live out in that kind of desert, tough as nails. Now, moving forward here, a few hundred years after all the white people started showing up. Um, from the Atlantic, some 2,000 plus miles away from Las Vegas on boats, the history of Las Vegas gets a whole lot more detailed. The name Las Vegas was given in the, to the city in 1829 by Rafael Rivera, a、uh, member of the Spanish explorer Antonio Amiro's、uh, trading party that was traveling to Los Angeles and stopped for water there on the old Spanish trail from New Mexico. At that time, several parts of the valley contained artesian wells. Surrounded by extensive green areas, Las Vegas means the meadows in Spanish, and the flows from the wells fed the Las Vegas Wash,、uh, which runs to the Colorado River. John C. Fremont traveled into Las Vegas Valley in May 3rd of 1844 while it was still part of Mexico. He was appointed by President John Tyler to, yeah, we had a president named John Tyler, to lead a group of scientists, scouts, and spies for the United States Army Corps of Engineers. Which was preparing for a possible war with Mexico. Upon arriving in the valley, they made camp at the Las Vegas Springs, establishing a clandestine fort there. So, big deal. We have the people traveling there, stopping for water. Now we have a fort 
A war with Mexico did occur, as you may have heard of it, resulting in the region becoming United States territory. The fort was used in later years by travelers, mountain men, hunters, and traders seeking shelter, but never became you know, permanently inhabited because it's still in the middle of the nowhere. After the end of the Civil War in 1865, Octavius Gass, I love that name, with a commission from the federal government, reoccupied the fort. The Peyote Nation had declined in numbers and negotiated a new treaty with the United States, ceding the area around the fort to the United States in return for relocation and supplies of food and farming equipment. Did the deal go down that way in reality? Maybe. <laughs> Although a lot of deals broker, uh, brokered between the white men and native peoples didn't go so smoothly, some deals did go fairly well, so... Let's just keep it on the light side. Maybe they did. We're like, hey, we'll help you out. Give us the land. But most of the time, there's <laughs> a decent chance white people are like, get out. We'll give you a couple, 50 bucks. You give us 500 acres. Anyway, consequently, Gas started irrigating the old fields and renamed the area Las Vegas Rancho. Gas made wine in his ranch. and Las Vegas became known as the best stop on the old Spanish trail. I love that. Somewhere in this dusty poke history, Las Vegas was a had a had a vineyard in it and was like the best place to stop on this ancient on this you know hundred year old um, trail to Los Angeles. <laughs> Las Vegas was purchased in 1902 by the San Pedro Los Angeles and Salt Lake Railroad Company, then being built across. Uh, Southern Nevada. The railroad was a project of Montana Senator William Andrews Clark. Important name there. Clark enlisted Utah's U.S. Senator and mining magnate Thomas Kearns to ensure the line's completion through Utah to Las Vegas. The State Land Act of 1885 offered land at $1.25 per acre. That's $3.09 per hectare. And that was a big deal back then. They were trying to just get people to fill up the land, you know, colonize it so other people couldn't claim it. As a reference, I read a small part of an article that said the land purchased in and around Las Vegas during the year of 2015 went for an average of 317,000 per acre. 317 US dollars per acre compared to a dollar 25. <laughs> Just a, just a couple hundred years ago, um, like 150 years ago, it was $1.25. Now it's $317,000 per acre. Nuts. Clark and Kearns, the guys who were doing the railroad here, promoted the area to American farmers who quickly expanded the farming plots of the area. Not until 1895 did the first large-scale migration of Mormons begin in the area. Through wells and arid irrigation, agriculture became the primary industry for the next 20 years. And in return for his development, the farmers named the area Clark County in order in honor of the railroad tycoon and senator. So that's where the name Clark County comes from. By the early 20th century, wells piped into the town, providing both a reliable source of fresh water and the means for additional growth. The increased availability of water in the area allowed Las Vegas to become a water stop, first for wagon trains and later railroads on the trail between Los Angeles and points east, such as Albuquerque, New Mexico. The settlement of Las Vegas, Nevada was founded in 1905 after the opening of the railroad uh, that goes to Los Angeles and Salt Lake City. Urbanization took off in 1931 when work started on the Boulder Dam. Now it's the Hoover Dam, bringing a huge influx. Now, now we're getting into more recent times, things you'll probably recognize. They've got the Hoover Dam in 1931. It's a huge influx of young male workers, okay, for whom theaters and casinos were built. 
largely by the mafia. You have tons of these workers. A lot of people died making the Hoover Dam. It was not a fun job. And you got young, ruckus dudes. So they built all these entertainment things. And so the mafia's like, let's get in on this. Let's make some money. Electricity from the dam also enabled the building of many new hotels along the Strip. The arrival of Howard Hughes in 1966 did much to offset mob influence and helped turn Las Vegas into more of a family tourist center that you see now classified as a mega resort. And as this episode will show, not just Howard Hughes, um, but also rough and tough law enforcement such as the cowboy sheriff Ralph Lamb made that happen, kicked the mafia out. Now, I'm sure there is still common a decent amount of crime in Las Vegas, but it's not as it used to be. Now, our cowboy sheriff Lamb was in the thick of it, of all I just, that last part right there. As a law enforcer from 1947 to 1979, going head-to-head with mobsters, biker gangs, and whoever else thought they could operate outside the lines of the law. When they did, Lamb was quick to rectify their misgivings and had no problem getting tough if that's what the situation called for. There are many stories of Lamb's from Lamb's career. One of them was in the paper, and this is probably the most famous, and said that the sheriff had just got done, quote, quote, slapping the cologne off revered gangster and former handyman to Al Capone, handsome Johnny Rosselli, before sending him to jail. Lamb had little direct trouble with the mobsters after his go-around with Rosselli. Uh, others also learned the hard way that Lamb wasn't to be messed with. Lamb himself has told reporters of being threatened by the mob, only to let them know if they hurt his family, he would personally kill 10 of them each day. So <laughs> I guess that's how you do you deal with these people. <laughs> You're a law enforcement officer. Someone's like, we're going to come after your family and your kids, so you better lay off. I don't, I don't know what I, accent I'm doing here, but you better lay off because we'll come after your family. We'll come after them, lamb. You know, he said, okay, I'll kill 10 of you a day. That's badass. (laughs) Amazingly, Lamb claimed to have never shot anyone in his years at the department, preferring to convey his messages with his fists, which is old school. And I love that respect. Um, You know, why shoot someone and risk killing them or maiming them for life when you can just beat the shit out of them, (laughs) you know, and they live and they learn a lesson. Once in the mid 1960s, Lamb reported greeting a rolling herd of Hell's Angels by first destroying some of their motorcycles and then giving the men haircuts. (laughs) That's just a footnote, okay? Hell's Angels showed up, he broke their bikes and gave them haircuts. (laughs) Although the story about Lamb slapping the cologne off of handsome Johnny Rosselli was the most well-known of his stories, it wasn't nearly the best. The sheriff says the dapper gangster uh, Rosselli was a cream puff compared to a, a few other tough guys. Rosselli was the kind of guy who would hire someone to take you out, Lamb told him, uh, Lamb said. But there was another guy who would have done that kind of thing uh, himself. Johnny Marshall was the probably the toughest mob guy ever detangled with, um, that Lamb ever tangled with here. Marshall was one of the aliases used by Marshall... Uh, Caffiano, a Chicago killer who was sent to Las Vegas to watch over mafia interest in early incarnation of Rackets boss Tony uh, Spilotro. And Lamb says he personally arrested Caffiano uh, uh, a couple of times and tried to question him, but the only reaction he ever got was a stone-cold death stare and a demand that he be allowed to call his lawyer, which is smart. You ever arrested? Shut up. Don't talk to the cops. Get a lawyer. Unless you're a scumbag. Then 
sing, sing like a canary. In addition to facing down and arresting Caffiano multiple times, Lamb said he single-handedly confronted six mob guys and ordered them to get out of town. It was Ralph on one side and six Chicago hoods, including Momo, Gichano, uh, Big Tuno, Accardo, and on the other side of him. And guess what? They just left. He told him to leave and they left. He just faced him down. Must have been a scary death stare from Ralph. Now, the cowboy sheriff style of law enforcement was very much like what you might see in a John Wayne movie do in an old Western. And just like the actions in an old Western movie, what Lamb did sometimes would not fly today. Um, now, Sheriff Lamb didn't tolerate his offers officers just straight up abusing suspects during interrogation. He didn't do stuff like that. Or, But a lot of the, what he did would land his ass in jail today. Gene Perry, a lifelong friend of Lamb, says the sheriff went to Lincoln County to help a friend of his catch some rustlers who had been stealing livestock. When Lamb caught the two thieves, he said to have dished out on-the-spot punishment using a red-hot branding iron. He burned a brand into both of their bare asses. I personally love that, <laughs> but yeah, you would go to jail. Williams remembers a time in the early 1970s when Las Vegas got an influx of flashy pimps who drove up and down the strip in fancy pimp mobiles. Lamb reportedly authorized his men to kidnap the pimps, put a hood over their heads, and haul them out into the desert to a spot where a grave had already been dug. When the hoods were pulled off of them, the pimps were given a choice of leaving town or staying in the hole. This... This is straight out of a John Wayne movie. It's badass shit. Now, George Knapp, a good friend of Lamb's, and it recounted many of these stories on Nevada Public Radio article, but uh, because he was such a good friend, he also got to know some personal sides of the cowboy sheriff, like how he was a total chick magnet. Think about it. Ralph Lamb was tall, tanned, strong as an ox, impeccably dressed, and movie star handsome. For 18 years, he reigned over Las Vegas, more powerful than any casino boss or mobster or elected official. What kind of power, that kind of power, reportedly can attract, can be quite attractive to women. So Ray Cornell Lamb, his, his still petite and uh, striking today, recalls the first time she saw Ralph Lamb in person in 1973 at a tax store. He spotted her and she looked at him, sparks right there. Quote, he was tall and strong and had these piercing blue eyes, she told me. She told him, and I didn't talk to him that day, but he tracked me down and that was it. You know, just sort of love at first sight type deal or lust at first sight. Ray would learn that the sheriff was still married at the time, each of his three marriages proving tumultuous in part because Ralph had a weakness for women. Lamb would never reveal anything uh, to Knapp about his liaisons, but... Others who knew him have dropped hints about his, quote, friendships with some of the most famous women of the 20th century, singers, starlets, and, you know, you name it. So some of the most famous, beautiful women in history. Ralph Land may have known, may, may have been known as a tough son of a bitch, but it wasn't, he wasn't all brawn. He was smart as a tack and was, and his con contributions to Las Vegas law enforcement are commendable. Uh, quote, a few people over the years heard him speak with that slow cowboy accent, and then made the mistake of thinking he was a dumb hick, says businessman Kevin uh, Buckley, one of Lamb's closest friends. They were in a big, they were in for a big surprise because he's not dumb. During one interview session, Lamb told us about a fugitive he had busted downtown in the early 1960s. He spotted the guy uh, because 
he'd read the man's license plate on a bulletin issued days earlier. Um, to everyone's amazement, during one interview, he rattled off the plate, uh, though the arrest had occurred five decades earlier. He likewise remembered the name of the sleazy bar and uh, remembered the name of the sleazy bar that he retells from stories of old and many other minor details from long ago events. So he was sharp as a tack, had a great memory, and like most intelligent man or most intelligent men, Lamb knew the power of information. He had his own spy ring amongst the blue-collar workers in Las Vegas. Lamb developed a network of eyes and ears by befriending bartenders, casino dealers, bellmen, taxi drivers, and working stiffs. When they saw something of interest, they let the sheriff know. His two sons, Cliff and Clint, <laughs> some of the most cowboy names I've ever heard of, um, would try to get into mischief when they were youngsters. As you know, many young men would do living in Vegas, but Lamb's bartenders, bellmen, and casino dealers, spies would rat them out at the sight at the first sight of them. So even his sons knew about it. Like, he had a network of spies. He was tough as nails, but he wasn't dumb. You know, he was good. In his years as sheriff, he is credited with creating the modern police force. Las Vegas now knows by organizing a merge of the city and the county police departments, bringing a forensic team to Las Vegas, hiring the, the department's first minorities, female and ethnic, putting the first computers in police cruisers, and among other improvements, introducing motorcycles to the fleet. Even though probably wouldn't have been able to handle the 250 head of cattle that escaped the corral behind the Stardust Hotel the same way on a motorcycle as he once did from his horse. Yeah, Lamb was a bona fide cowboy. He strode around Las Vegas on a horseback, wearing a 10-gallon hat and a rifle in hand. And, you know, Ralph didn't just ride a horse around town to look the part of cowboy. He had grown up on horseback and had a ranch in the area. He'd, lost ro he'd host ropings and rodeos on the grounds, competing with local cowboys and even the likes of hotel and resort mogul Steve Wynn. Uh, we'll talk about Steve in a bit. Who kept his horses at the ranch? Rodeo remained a constant in Lamb's life, and he was competing into his 83rd year when loss of eyesight forced him to quit. In 1977, Sheriff Ralph Lamb was indicted for tax and yeah, indicted for tax evasion for somewhere around thirty thousand uh, that he took from a fellow cowboy entrepreneur and old friend Benny Binion. Lamb was acquitted of all charges, but not before the, his reputation was dragged through the dirt. The judge decided that loans were gifts from a friend and not subject to taxation. I don't know the legality of that, but anyway, Sher the judge said it was cool, right? But Sheriff is an elected position, and elected officials, politicians, don't usually survive such a scandal. Uh, when the Clark County Sheriff elections were held in 1978, Lamb lost. He would give up the badge the following year in 79. The next decade would see Metro Police state gaming investigations and federal agents chip away at the mob's presence in southern Nevada. And on September 25th of 2012, a show titled Vegas was aired on CBS based on Lamb's time as sheriff. Dennis Quaid portrayed Lamb. The show was canceled after one season on May 10th of 2013. I have not seen the show, but I'm going to have to check it out now. I have a picture of the cast with Lamb on my blog if you want to check it out there. Tons of other pictures as well. And Ralph Lamb died on July 3rd of 2015 at Mountain View Hospital of Complications from Surgery in Summerlin, Las Vegas, Nevada, at the age of 88. For years after for years for yeah, years after he left Metro, Lamb worked for Steve Wynn and must have seen a lot of crazy stuff. This was during the time the dapper young casino magnate was a rising star. But if he did, Lamb never told his friends 
never told his friend Knapp who wrote a story about Lamb's life. He never spilled about any of it. Several times, Knapp returned to the subject of Wynn, asked about the people around him, associates he may have had, women he chased. If Lamb knew anything juicy, and he always did, he never gave it up. Not even a tidbit. He never revealed anything that might have been embarrassing to a friend of his, which shows great character. Just a year before Lamb passed away, in 2014, the National Museum of Organized Crime and Law Enforcement in Las Vegas, or the Mob Museum as it's more commonly known, honored Lamb with an exhibit featuring the toughest law enforcer in the history of the city. I toured the exhibition year, uh, toured the exhibit years ago while visiting family members who live in Las Vegas. Out of all the exhibits, Lamb stuck out to me the most. That visit to the Mob Museum that day is why I decided to do this episode. The exhibit included Lamb's custom saddle gear, cowboy boots, photographs, and awards celebrating the cowboy cop who forged a modern police force with his old western ways. That is my story on Ralph Lamb. He is amazing. He lived from 1927 to 2015, and he was in World War II. He was a sheriff of Las Vegas during the craziest time in Las Vegas. And with all this crazy stuff going on, you know, they call it Sin City, all this sinful mafia stuff going on. You had this good old boy, you know, cowboy sticking it to him, kicking ass and taking names. I think Ralph Lamb is a total badass. I had to do an episode on him. I hope you liked it, Hooter Thunkers. Tune in next week for the next episode. I'd like to give a shout out to uh, my mom for making me go to the Mom Museum. I'd like to give a shout out to my family out in Vegas, my nen, my aunt, my cousins. And I'd like to give a shout out to my dad. I feel like he would love this story about basically real life John. Well, John Wayne is a real guy, but you know what I'm saying? A uh, actual sheriff who was just like John Wayne, Clint Eastwood type. So thanks for listening. Tune in next week.